Welcome everyone to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by curating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industries best practice, such as the podcast that we're running this morning. My name is Emma and today I am your host. Today on the panel, we have four NHS leaders from the Yorkshire Northeast region. We have Diane, Keir, Vanessa and Becky. Um, before we kind of move into the introductions, I would just like to add that the views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. Um, so before we kind of delve into the topic of information governance in the NHS, we'll work our way around the room with some introductions. So what I'd like to know is who you are, your role, and a little bit about your background. So Becky, you are first on my screen. Would you like to kick things off? Sure. So I'm Becky Bradley. I'm the Head of Information Governance and the Data Protection Officer at York and Scarborough Teaching Hospital Foundation Trust. Um, I've been here for uh, nearly three years now and um, my role is primarily information governance and data protection but I've also uh, just taken on the health records team as well so that's quite new. My background is in historical archives and records management within uh, social care in councils and then came into the NHS three years ago. Perfect, thank you very much. Diane, you're next. Hello, I'm Diane Midsdale. Um, I'm the Information Governance and Information Security Manager at Gateshead. Um, I am also the Data Protection Officer. Um, I've been in Information Governance since 2011. Started in Northumbria as an IG officer and have worked my way through with the experience and knowledge and support of other lovely managers in the in the area. And I've worked in the NHS since 1998. So I've got quite a stealthy background in the NHS doing various admin back office roles in the corporate arena. Perfect. Thank you very much. Vanessa? Hi, my name's Vanessa Atkinson. I'm the Senior Programme Manager um, working at Bradford District and Craven Healthcare Partnership. Um, I also lead um, the Digital Enabling Programme. Um, that's my main focus role. Um, at the organisation. Um, I've been in post since April this year, um, but have worked in healthcare for too many years. Um, my background is basically working with all digital themed projects, programmes, and have a real kind of passion and, and um, desire to make improvements and um, look at how we can make improvements using digital as an enabler. Amazing, thank you very much. Then Keir, last but not least, Hi, uh, yes, my name is Keir, so I am the Programme Director for Mental Health, Learning, Disability and Autism in West Yorkshire, which means I work between our collaborative mental health trusts who provide mental health care and LD and autism services and also support the wider ICB, which includes our voluntary community sector and local authorities to work well together uh, our, across our sector. And yeah, my background is I previously, before I took on this role, which I've been doing for four and a half years, worked for NHS England for a fair amount of years and also worked in acute hospitals for nearly a decade before that. Amazing. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, okay, so now that we've kind of like established the context of kind of everyone's role, we'll, we'll move straight into the questions. So Diane, we'll kick things off with, with your first question. It's quite a good opener, I think. So um, first question is, why is information governance important? So Diane, do you want to kick things off on this one? Yes. Um, so the reason I've 
want this question to have a bit discussion is to just see what kind of range there is out there between us all, because I know information governance and the NHS itself are quite fluid and things change, whereas obviously we've got the protection bill and things like that. So I thought this was a good time to have a chat about information governance. Now, for me, it's important because it gives my organisation the framework to help them be accountable and responsible with regards to the information it has and the value of that, as well as impacts, misuse, like processes that don't work on those individuals that the information's about. So it's about developing the decision-making and the accountability structure within my organisation around data protection and information security. So I was just wondering what you thought about it and why you thought it was important. Thank you, Diane. Um, Becky, we'll come around to you first. Um, yes, yeah, so obviously I'm also in the IG area of our trust and I agree with you. It's a lot about that accountability and responsibility and um, safe use of information. And I think for me, a lot of it comes down to fundamentally, if we're looking at just personal data, it's a human rights issue. So, you know, we have all of this evidence of how we use people's data, how we treat people, how we you know, manage their care, what we're doing with them, decisions made about people. And this is the evidence that you have of what has happened to somebody or lack of evidence if you're missing records. And, you know, you see that in the blood inquiry, the Tavistock maternity stuff, like all of that, you build cases because you have the evidence to prove what you've got. Do you know what I mean? That's why we're keeping this information to keep people safe and so that they can exercise rights that they have, like fundamentally. And then on top of that, you've got, you know, the ability to for people to access their records through subject access, you know, through uh, access to health record legislation. That is for us as, you know, people to be able to exercise those rights. And then also you've got, I've also managed the Freedom of Information team here as well. And for me, that's a high amount of keeping authorities who have a lot of power over you know people and decisions made and public money accountable for what they're doing so you know the public have that right to come in and ask for what we are doing and hold us to account in that and uh, you can see that we always use the mp scandal like expenses scandal as an example of that that was like freedom of information that made sure that we could see that that was happening essentially and that happens quite a lot you know you, you have a lot of journalists that come to us so that's for me why information governance is important at a high level. Perfect, thank you. Um, but Asa, we'll come around to you next. Yeah, so I guess for me, uh, probably more in the project and programme space, it's just one of the backbone functions that keeps us safe in, in the work that we do. And it's really, really pivotal that we involve the right people at the right point, um, hopefully early on in the, in the process. But um, it's really evident when you haven't involved the right people setting up your project and doing that thinking up front. Um, as you ladies have alluded to, it's about keeping us safe. It's about making sure that we're not putting unsafe processes in place and actually any projects and new ways of working that we uh, build in and factor into the d services that we deliver and the patient pathways that we've considered how that data is going to be shared, what data we're collecting, who's got access to it and are they using it in the right way. And I think that thinking needs to be sort of in the fabric of, of the way that we deliver services. Um, but at times, people don't know what they don't know, and it can sometimes be missed. But that's why, for me, it's really important that everybody's got an understanding of 
of why information governance is important. It's there to protect us and the public. Perfect. Amazing. And then Keir? Yeah, I think in a, in a similar vein, uh, the big thing for me is probably about trust. So we talk about, um, you know, if you're particularly thinking about kind of mental mental health and our service users, they will a lot of people who have mental health issues will have experienced significant trauma in their lives. They will kind of not necessarily have had great experiences with statutory services for a whole range of a whole range of reasons. Um, and we as services need to build trust with that population in order to help them and to support them to engage engage in services. And I guess IG and information governance stuff is there to help. Um, one of the frameworks that helps us be able to say to people, look, kind of, um, we are looking after your information. We are making sure that you know we, there is still a stigma associated in a number of courts with mental with mental health and mental illness. You know your information is safe. We are supporting you, and we've got the processes that mean that um, anything that you don't want disclosing to somebody else about you doesn't go anywhere. It's all part of that kind of building trust with service users stuff. So yeah, a framework that helps helps do that. I think really. Perfect. Thank you. And then Diana, I suppose bringing that background to you, does that kind of answer your question? Have you got any any further questions? No, that's that answers my question. I, I just, it's it's nice to see how other people perceive it because there are different variances out there. But yeah, it's it's essentially a framework to make sure that we're being responsible with the information we have for that trust and for people's rights to be enacted when it needs to be. So no, thank you very much. Perfect. Amazing. Well, I think kind of um, the next follow-on question is probably yours, Vanessa. Um, so how can we change the perception of information governance being a blocker to an enabler? I think there was some similar themes that got brought up then. So do you want to kind of give a bit of context to that? Yeah, so um, obviously out of the role that I've recently come into, uh, one of our digital work streams is information governance. And part of the journey we've been on is around understanding where we can add the best value across the partnership to either advise or, or be part of um, projects, programs, et cetera, but make sure that information governance thinking is embedded within those processes and projects. Um, so um, some of the work streams that are already underway or um, when when I'm sat in different meetings, you quite often hear statements of, you know, data sharing is a problem or there's a sense of frustration around, I thought we had data sharing agreements in place, um, potentially, you know, the kind of flippant IG is a real blocker, we never seem to kind of, so therefore for me, I try and go with the kind of angle of understanding what's behind that statement and what's really going on for either that person, that service. And, and I guess that's where the kind of thinking around when you really do some of the digging, you you realise that actually it's not IG that's the blocker, but it's about the perception. And for me, it's, I think it's a interesting question around how can we, um, and at scale, kind of change that perception and and make it easy for people to either understand that it's actually uh, an enabler rather than a blocker. And I think it would be great to hear everybody else's sort of opinion on on that. Thank you, Vanessa. Um... Okay, we'll come round to you first on this one. Yeah, thanks. Uh, the, the first thing I kind of wrote down, was just trying to scroll stuff down, was about kind of consistency. Consistency is a really big thing, I think. So particularly in the role that we do and work, working across partners and across a system between different organisations, um, the perception that IG ends up being a blocker is because you can ask three different people who work in IG um, what they think, and they will have three different views on what can be shared and how. So that, so for people who are trying to make stuff happen, you go, well, how can that be possible? It's similar with lots of kind of you know legal frameworks. You go, but if there's a legality to it, how can we can't share? And you think we can, you think we can't. So 
being able to try and find a thread that is about the consistency and the agreed approach and the principles behind what we're trying to do, which I think we're a little bit saying, what, what's the the benefit of why we're trying to share this data and get everybody on the same page with the principle behind it and in a kind of a um, what is possible mindset rather than a kind of what is not possible mindset is probably something that's quite um, important, I think. Perfect. Thank you. Becky, we'll move around to you next. I could see you kind of nodding away working a little bit there <laughs> I just think it's funny that it's like always seen as a blocker and I can tell you on like one hand how many times I've said no to something do you know what I mean as like a data protection officer and lots of people will find out that something's happened and somebody will go oh but you know we can't do that because of GDPR and I'm like did I did I say that like <laughs> I thought I was the GDPR person um so um, no it's just quite funny that it happens everywhere and I think for me a lot of the time people find the um, IG process is quite onerous. Um, so when you're asking them from the start to look at DPIAs, and I understand the fact that actually IG, you can get, get three different opinions in a room and that might be because we, you have to work out the risk decision. So when we do a data protection impact assessment, I might have a different risk tolerance. So what you kind of want in that consistency and, and framework of what your trust or, you know, what their risk matrix is essentially and you kind of lead it down that way so even if you identify all the risks you can then judge them against a very consistent matrix and have that make your decision for you because my tolerance might not be as um, high as somebody else's for example and actually in my team I'm probably more tolerant than um, one of my IG managers and um, so we do try and like make sure that we have that um, matrix in place to like take take that sort of um, interpretive decision away from us um, which which can be quite useful uh, but yeah I think getting people to understand the benefits of doing a DPIA as well because for us um, a lot of the time when you go through these with people and ask the practical questions like how are you going to share it like who's it going to like, you know who's responsible for that in the long term how long are you going to keep that for like all these questions actually haven't been answered appropriately and it does push projects forward into actually making practical steps in terms of understanding and establishing what they're doing as well which I found has can be quite useful so you could you know advertise it I guess as that you know we go through a DPIA to help us make these practical decisions when we're going through a project and then at the end gather those risks and go through the matrix and do that practically and consistently rather than having three IG people be like mm, maybe we could do it like this but we do like to give you options you know you could do that or you could do this um, but ultimately it's usually for the service area to accept the risks that they're doing I can only advise so usually I can say I would do this option or this option and the service area you know it's your choice if that option's more cost effective and the risk is you know slightly higher but not that much then it might be something that they they go with that so yeah I just think we're an enabler amazing thank you and Diane round to you um I agree with everything that Becky said we're exactly the same when it comes to being called blockers it tends to be because of poor planning on their part so they haven't involved us they haven't looked at the policy to see what tools and materials would help them understand the data privacy by design essentially is what we're talking about for most of those types of things so a lot of the time they'll get to so far through a project and then suddenly go oh no it includes information oh no it's going to sit on the network oh no it's going to do this and send it here and in 
these people are going to have access and then they go, oh, we haven't even thought about information governance or data protection or information security. And that tends to be where we become the blocker because then we kind of go, well, have you done a DPIA? Have you started a one? Have you thought about this? And then they all go no and IT says no. And that's the end of that. But it is really <laughs> difficult to kind of get that across to a point where people do it as a day routine so Vanessa you as projects you probably have your project plan and you have it all set out and you know you need to do this and you need to do that and but various business units and staff doing things ad hoc don't so it it, it is we are an enabler but we need to be involved soon so we can say well have a look at the DPIA that will help you plan out what you need to do and what you need to think about and then come back to us later on or if you've got any questions or queries come back to us that's what we're here for we're here to help because we don't make the decision we don't accept the risks we just say this could be the risk you could do that to eliminate that or reduce it or whatever it is so yeah it is a difficult question that one Vanessa <laughs> <laughs> thank you Diane Vanessa we'll bring that back round to you have you kind of got any further questions does that answer your question so yeah it answers my question I think again being in a partnership role, it's exactly as Kay said, trying to navigate different peoples uh, to not allow personal opinion, but actually that framework around the risk matrix is, is a, um, you know, kind of bringing it back back to that. Um, and just great to kind of see that it's, you know, you're not alone in some of the challenges, but that there are um, like-minded people that want to bust, you know, myth bust and make IG kind of seem to be friend rather than foe. Perfect. Thank you very much. Is there anything anyone else would like to add before we move on to the next question? Perfect. Okay, Fab. So, Kim, we'll move around to your question next. So, um, yours was, what can we do to improve data sharing between organisations who provide or commission services for people with mental health and disabilities? So, do you want to give us a bit of a, a background to that? Yeah, so we started t touching on some of the kind of the broader stuff around the framework, I think. But, yeah, it's that, so we are... Um, trying to find a way that between four mental health trusts, six acute trusts and numerous local authority partners, BCSE partners, that um, that we are able to share different types of data. So the data for um, direct clinical care in the best way possible. So the people, particularly we've talked about it a lot last week, I see people in the first 30 minutes of contact know that somebody needs some particular help and they can find it quickly uh, and provide a particular intervention. But also so that those organisations can share enough data in the right way that allows us to make better commissioning decisions and decisions based on kind of population health management as well. So how do we know what of our services are designed in the right way? Um, and we do come across those kind of exactly those barriers around where we got, this is our kind of data sharing approach or our kind of risk tolerance where you've talked about, Becky, and also kind of, or we have these systems that allow us to flow data and we don't, or we count it in this way and you count it in that way. or we So there's a whole load of complexity in, the, in, in that single sing, simple idea about how do we make data sharing kind of you know better between kind of mental health LD and, and awesome organizations and again it's that kind of so what do we think the role of information governance in separate organizations is to come to the party and, and agree a collective approach to doing it if that makes sense so yeah not a simple one but kind of to build on what we've already touched on i think thanks care um becky will come around to you first this is a very difficult question and i think when you have lots of partners involved and also lots of purposes for why you might be sharing data so for there you know 
if you're sharing for direct care, you know what the lawful basis is, and that's usually perfectly fine. And also you've got to, you know, consider the common law duty of confidentiality within that and the understanding of the patient where you're doing population health management and, you know, wider, um, like place-based um, sort of projects and things. It's quite a different purpose potentially. And also within that, you might not be sharing um, directly identifiable stuff, but pseudonymized information or anonymized, which is fine. You can fill your boots. But like with pseudonymized, people don't necessarily understand that that's classed as personal data as well. And that's an issue. And I think what I find with this is that educating people to contact IG straight away when they're wanting to do something like this is useful. Um, like Vanessa said, pre you know, coming on from the previous thing, it's like embedding it in the process because I find out about a lot of sharing that's going on a lot later um, and that's a concern. And also establishing good connections between your like ICS, your, your place-based sort of uh, organizations and having that central sort of ability so I know that within mine in the IG teams within the Yorkshire and Humber teams we all talk so that includes our mental health trusts our acute trusts and we also talk to our ICB colleague um, in IG and that really helps in terms of establishing um, processes and we can quickly put together information sharing agreements you know once a, you know somebody who's initiating this has been able to provide us with details about it it's been a very quick thing for us to turn around really um and then there's also the uh the thing of us we're looking at planning a like overall sort of we know that we have these information sharing protocols and things like that that might include like a set of uh uh, organizations that sign up to these rules to say they're going to do x y and z and then it, that makes it even quicker because usually you've got um, a quick turnaround on the sharing agreement because you're just establishing lawful basis and how you're going to do it. if you've already agreed that it's going to be secure in a certain way anyway it's kind of okay so that does help um but it it can be quite tricky because of the amount of people involved and then you also might get disagreements between organizations particularly with IG because like you said previously three of us might have different ideas about certain things so that has to be negotiated so setting up those good connections making sure we can all get a, in a room at once is quite useful and having IG at the table when you these decisions are being made is also helpful because it can be disseminated by the IG person we have that in our area and we're quite lucky and um, but I don't think that happens all the time so like our um sign like our IG network chair she sits within these meetings usually and she's then able to disseminate that information and that speeds up a lot of stuff amazing thank you Becky um Diane will come around to you next again I agree with Becky it's it's the devil's in the detail so it's it's who you have around that table having the conversation at the first point it's definitely something that is possible and we encourage because it is in the best interests of patients and that's the purpose of our role as healthcare providers is to have the best interests of patients so we will help in any way possible dependent of the only thing I can think of that may be an issue could be the risk appetite of each individual organisation. So like Becky says, having us around that table, having those regional sign IG networks 
encouraged to join in the conversation is also a good idea because then we all get around the table and we do have the protocols we have we use the gate we have an information sharing gateway which is the northeast and north cumbria sharing portal so a lot of our regional sharing agreements go in there and it, it's much easier to update sign off when they get reviewed and things like that so it's a really good idea to have again it's the planning it's the detail it's how do we want to do this? Where are the benefits and how can we help with advice and guidance and getting you to where you need to be? So it, it, it is essentially having the right people around the table representing. Thanks, Diane. And then Vanessa, around to you. Um, I think it's really heartwarming to see uh, all the different, I guess, approaches across the different organisations and, and regions. But um, I guess the interesting observations are great to see that having those networks in place people find help, um, we have got that in place. And I guess it sometimes just assures you that what you're trying to put in place and the processes are the right thing to do. They sometimes just take a little bit of time for that group to maybe find their own way. Um, maybe one of the areas that we're particularly struggling with is where to put our effort and energy and what would, I suppose, add the best value for something at place level. So I think that's um, possibly a challenge that came may kind of um, have the same sort of challenges where you have got a room of, you know, great expertise, but actually um, the question kind of goes, what are the things we should be focusing on at that higher sort of place or partnership level um, and, and resource and time in amongst the solo organisation? You know, I think IG is a really limited resource. So again, it's making sure that we um, don't, you know, are very, um, mindful of that and make best use of of that people's kind of expertise and time. Um, so sometimes being able to frame what the ask is is sometimes harder, but um, it it feels like you know we've all had the same challenges and actually the approach is is the right one. It's maybe um, being able to actually share some of the ideas and I think that networking is you know that brilliant example of what other areas doing and is it something that we could sort of lift and shift or um, enhance some work together with a wider network than what our current one is even. Amazing. Thank you, Vanessa. I mean, I suppose I've kind of got like another question. I think there was quite a lot around kind of like networking there being quite like a, a key thing. With obviously the kind of formation of the, the ICBs last year, do you think that that has like helped with these sorts of kind of, um, you know, encounters? Does anyone have any thoughts on that? I think um, so. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, like, we were already quite tight as an IG network anyway. And I think that's because, yeah. like Vanessa said, we have tiny teams. Like, people expect us to be able to deliver the world. I have, I started with a team of two um, three years ago, and now I have a an IG team of four. And, you know, that, that's that's big in our our area for the acutes um i am i'm very privileged <laughs> and um but one of the things we do is we share so um like i will write the sharing agreement and we all just use it do you know what i mean or i'll write the data protection impact assessment for a system we're all using and then they just have it do you know what i mean and they just adapt it for their own risks and things and that really works and as a network it's quite useful and we get because we with the icb you get a lot of, of the same systems and things pushed down to you um and that that's quite useful because normally you'd have to do that as individual 
organizations but if you've just got like i'll i'll do that for us and i do it and then push it out that's quite useful and um, but it, it's a lot to do with the fact that we li- we are limited in resource thank you for pointing that out vanessa i feel like it's not really very well known <laughs> and and finding ig people's quite hard it's quite a like um you have to learn it like it and get used to it so it's quite it's quite a difficult re- recruiting into roles even if you have them right and thank you becky Keir. Yeah, just because I think that question about kind of ICBs, so either either pre-ICBs and ICS um, STB days, I think we've done really well at networking West Yorkshire across a whole host of things, kind of, um, and, and yeah, thinking of what we do across the trusts at the minute, whether it be clinical or operational, lots of kind of good networks form. We've got one on kind of business intelligence and stuff. Um, I genuinely don't know actually what happens about our, what IG network there is across West Yorkshire. I don't. I suppose I wouldn't need to necessarily in kind of my role. The stuff you've been talking about, Becky, about those sorts of discussions and kind of how they share and kind of get consistent processes. I think sometimes it's a, you don't know what you don't. No, when you're in our position, probably some of you, Vanessa, does that exist? And where would you do you go to that first or go to a single organisation? That actually might be something that I can kind of try and dig on and see if it exists in our patch. I might be able to answer that question for you. <laughs> probably because I've done that digging around. We've kind of got our leads in the organisations. We've set up a place-based network and function. And obviously then we've got the West Yorkshire element. And what you don't want to do is end up doubling up and doing the same work especially when resource is so tight. So I've tried to work out if there is a forum and what their almost like objectives and area of, um, and I think it doesn't currently, there isn't a formal group, but they're looking to set one up and kind of get everybody around the table in the new year to actually start probably on the back of our discussions of what does that need to look like? And then how do we make sure that kind of, um, you know, filters down and we've got the right networks then in outside of that which i was music to my ears i think that's what we need that kind of top-down approach because actually we could just be trying to solve the same problem and we need to be really resourceful don't we with time and 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 people's kind of effort and energy um so yeah that's that's something to look forward to the new year amazing thank you vanessa has anyone got anything else that they would like to to add before we move on perfect okay fab um and then i think Becky, we'll come round to your question next. So we've got what steps can be taken to create an efficient training plan for raising awareness and providing training surrounding information governance? Yeah, so I was thinking about this because obviously um, the data protection, uh, data security and protection toolkits changing um, going forward to the, I mean, Diane is nodding because this is, it's quite a big thing. So this is, um, it's turning into the cyber assurance framework sort of model. And previous to this, the training assertion in this was that we have to have 95% of your staff trained uh, in IG and it was quite a set amount. And now it's just, you have to provide appropriate training to your team. Uh, to your to your organisation in IG, and for that, it's quite quite different how you measure that in terms of appropriateness. And we are looking to sort of build a training needs analysis with HR, um, but then it's understanding what different staff groups need different levels of training and how often they'll need that training is it appropriate is it enough and how we track that Um, and it's it 
it could end up with a lot of onus on either the IG team or some training teams. Do we need more e-learning? Is what we've got adequate? And we just run with the 95%. And I know a lot of trusts are, are doing that for this year and then reconsidering what they're going to go forward doing and, um, you know, what, what percentage are we comfortable with? And also when we're doing this training, like how detailed do you want to go? So for like Kira and Vanessa's points of view, it's likely that your teams would probably need more emphasis on doing data protection impact assessments and when to engage with IG and why it's important when you're starting out as certain programs and things like that. Um, and yeah, I, I'm just looking at it and I was like, this is too big for one person. So I thought I'd ask the question. <laughs> Thanks, Becky. I mean, Kay, we'll come round to you first because I know that you got to jump off in, in a minute. So, yeah, thank you. And I think, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head where my head was going there, Becky, about kind of so for for which people in what roles is the most important element of training that they are going to need. And sometimes that is just going to be about um, we need to get you a basic level of understanding, and we need to uh, tell you what the process is so you can get the right help. And this is where you get it from. Um, and I think, yeah because otherwise there's a bit of a danger we experience this within the mental health and LD and autism sector about kind of when we're wanting to push for greater awareness of understanding of our sector about mental illness or about autism or neurodiversity uh, and there's a danger sometimes that we always think the answer is kind of mandatory training to an extent which turns people off and there's a really interesting kind of you know tipping point within that isn't there um, and I guess you know the other bit is kind of is there more around um train the trainer model is not the right word but the cascade bit about how many allies experts do you need in organizers who at least know enough to be the first port of contact who they then get get back in touch with you to build a bit of a network that you know you've only got four people in your team but have you got four plus at least 40 who know a bit more than the rest of the organization does and that kind of thing amazing thank you Beth, we'll come around to you next i i, I just made a note of all those things so for me it would kind of um I think it's really interesting where I'm not saying you're not seeing it as an opportunity, but it probably is a real opportunity to kind of ask that question of was the training that was in place, was it effective anyway, even though you might have met the targets? I think, as you say, quite often people kind of do the tick box exercise, but when we really try and test out, do they understand it and and then do they follow the process that we'd like them to? Maybe already what we've talked about today would be the evidence is possibly not. So maybe can we turn that on its head and say, what could we do differently? And um, what would get people more engaged in quite possibly a quite dry topic, what some folk could find. So I guess maybe looking, I know how offensive. <laughs> um, for some people it could be, I don't know, maybe looking at other models like safeguarding might be a really great example of how do they decide who needs what training at what levels and maybe looking at that that kind of um, model but actually as Kay said um i think um optimizing some of um either networks that exist or can we look at some of those um if i say digital champion networks because i think we have the same challenge across the board with probably digital inclusion may well be something that we kind of um align to around how do you get enough traction in all of the areas that you need so maybe um by having um these roles where they've got enough knowledge to advise guide but actually can be our eyes and ears really around that signposting and directing so i think um, if we're sort of on on that pitch, and actually there's there's a, a great opportunity in the new year, and 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 maybe some sharing around, you know, the ten minute YouTube videos that actually, as you said, Becky, that we you know do it once and share it. Um, 
the sort of theory should be the same. So why would we all need to go away and do that? But let's get our heads together and say, what's some good stuff? That's just little snippets. That's not too much for people. And they can build up their knowledge and hopefully get um, to see that it's of advantage to know this stuff. Um, but actually could give some other people some opportunities around development and just to extend their kind of um, knowledge. And it might then be that, you know, as part of our workforce thinking and future proofing that we can embed that more into um, how do we look at our resource needs of the future? And is that part of um, being a package, you know, of some of the digital roles that you, you do need that almost like level one knowledge of IG anyway as just a basic standard? Perfect. Thank you, Vanessa. And then Dia, we'll come round to you. Um, yes, the DSPT was quite a spanner in the works. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least um we're doing it along the same things as what's been discussed we've got a program of webinars bite size um sessions that are going to be going out at specifically target either specific policies or specific topics or specific rules so obviously we've always done asset owner roles training and asset administrator and system admins but now it's looking at more of, I mean, I was lucky enough in the old days when it was the HSCIC, they had lots of training materials there. And before it changed over to the new DSPT, I downloaded all of that training information. <laughs> so I still have them somewhere in the depths of my records. So they will be reviewed to see what I can take from them and then build on. But yeah, it's, it's the diversity of training that's needed so workshops webinars quick 10 minute coffee and chats those types of things is the route we're going down but i'm quite lucky because our training needs assessment doesn't run out till after i think after the submission this year so we're taking the remit of well we're, we're okay for this year we've got every so that gives us that extra little time to get the planning in place and get things advertised and people on board basically so that's kind of the route we're going down we're going to do lots of little diverse targeted sessions for staff to come through and get that knowledge out there when it comes to the effectiveness of that though i'm not 100 percent sure how we're gonna do that other than from monitoring trends in incidents um so there's a the big discussion to be had on how we're gonna do that i think that's the way forward at the moment is trends and incidents um to see if the training in that area works does it need tweaking? Do we need to do a bit more? So, and possibly looking to have such things as questions going out, just random questionnaires and things like that going out to see what the knowledge is out there to see if the training is effective. But I'm not 100% sure how we would measure that and monitor it at the minute, but that's the plan. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you, Diane. Um, Becky, kind of bringing that back around to you, does that answer your question? Have you got any further questions? No, it was really helpful. I think I'll contact Diane afterwards and see if we can do a little meeting about <laughs> what you've already got, which sounds really good because I agree. And I, I agree with Vanessa. I think it is like it is an opportunity to see where we're going. And I think as a trust who's like fairly immature in terms of IG and our culture of it, um, it you know, being a because I know for a fact that people just click to the end of the questions of the e-learning and just do the questions like we know that that's happening you know it just is and trying to find something that is more engaging that's maybe more bite-sized but then 
understanding how you monitor and track that and work that out. Me and our cyber lead have had that conversation because he's got access to a really great resource, but then it's understanding of, of these types of things, you know, these short learning things, um, which would be useful, but then it's encouraging how you get people to do it if it's not mandatory and also like how you then track them doing it as well. So there's, there's all sorts of things because obviously we need to be able to prove that we've done this. And also if we do have a bad incident, if it's to do with an individual that's done something, the first question the ICO does ask you is what training have they received? And we need to make sure that people are kind of, you know, forced into doing some kind of training, but training that's engaging for them would be fantastic. And, you know, at a level that they understand and what would be useful for them, but trying to figure out how to actually do that across an organization of 11,000 staff is like, it's a lot. So yeah, it'd be quite good if I get together maybe with Diane afterwards, have a little chat. Perfect. Thank you very much. Vanessa? Well, if there's a, maybe a, you might have already thought of it, but um, I know when we've tried to look at um, business continuity planning, which again can be seen as quite a dry topic or, um, it's only when a disaster happens that people realise they're sort of um, benefiting that. But actually, sometimes running an event with a scenario and maybe that scenario kind of um, it's a little bit more engaging, potentially can make it more fun, even though it is with a serious topic. Um, but actually running some of those, I think that can be the light bulb moment for people around why these things are really um kind of necessary etc and maybe tailoring some of those with a topic that's more relevant to maybe clinical setting or a project setting and actually um asking people to run one of those per year in their teams etc so it's not necessarily you that's got to do all of that but actually um so that might be an idea for something that feels more kind of doable but actually just giving them that framework of a scenario to build in because i imagine they may well need to do that anyway in their um, sort of work stream areas around providing insurance. So um, just just a suggestion. No, um, it's really useful. Thank you. I do, yeah, it, I I wouldn't have thought of something like that where you cascade it down to other teams for them to, because I always feel like the onus is on me, to, like our team to deliver it as experts. Yeah. Yes. But being able to provide them with like a scenario that they go through and then like outcomes and what you should have done and blah, 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 would have been, would might be, might be a good uh, a good option actually. So thank you for that. Kind of, I guess, gives you that um, almost like score of what what's the gaps of training that they need, and then you can go in and kind of help with that. Um, but again, happy to share some of that learning, which I know is not on the same topic, but I think it's really interesting of being able to turn that table from you personally and your kind of uh, specialty feeling responsible, whereas other people need to take their responsibility, and then you're there to advise and how you get that sea change. I think. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd really appreciate that. Yeah, that'd, be, sure. that'd be great. Perfect. So we'll be sharing there, guys. Um, Fab, we'll, we'll move on to the very final question. So, Diane, we're bringing this back round to you. Um, so I have slightly reworded the question a little bit. So um, apologize if this throws anybody off. Um, so final question, how can leadership cultivate responsibility and accountability for effective information governance practices? So, Diane, can you give us a bit of an overview to this one? Yes, within my IG career, there's been quite a lot of leadership change. So the CEO changes, then the execs change, the execs retire, then they all change around, then there's promotions. and there's... So it, it comes back to that, how do we get the buy-in from the top when it fluctuates so much? 
and sometimes it's a bit like you're on the same page again so it's kind of and then there's it's keeping that motivation going how do we keep this going how do we get that buy-in how do we get them feeding that down to staff and it's the culture thing that was touched on earlier it's it's like you, it's like you are starting from scratch again so it's kind of like right what worked last time what's going to work this time how do we plan this out to get somewhere quickly because obviously you're an organization with really serious you know valuable information processes services that need that top to be on the ball <laughs> and and helping and assisting and feeding that down so it was just how do we do that have you had experience of that because i would love some tips <laughs> thanks Diane. um vanessa we'll come around to you first on this one Oh gosh, press. I, I I feel your pain, Diane. I think you get that. It's really difficult, isn't it? Um, around what's people's almost like appetite and almost what floats their boat and where they think their effort and energy needs to be. Um, and I'm sure in some of those very very senior leadership, they don't know kind of where where to turn first. Um, I think it's maybe being able to say in the absence of not having that knowledge or not not kind of engaging um or or you know what you do almost like prevent rather than um so maybe going with the look what could happen if we don't kind of have that level of knowledge about ig um and maybe being able to do that kind of get something under the nose around the things that you've achieved the things that you've prevented the things that you um almost the stealth stuff in the background that's going on without it um what could happen um and i think that for me is is kind of feel like you almost do go on a bit of a sales pitch but actually um it is that classic of people don't know what they don't know and they don't know what they need to be worried about and what they don't um so sometimes by you being able to tell them what they need to be worried about but but don't worry we've got that in hand very early on is kind of like um just just gets that attention um up front um i guess that's maybe some learning that you know having been around a little while and worked in different multiple organizations that seems to be something that that's been quite effective right and thank you Vanessa. and becky brown to you um i i like i hear you for this like it's really really hard and the turnaround's quite quick and i think for me having a good a well-trained syro at all times and you'll know this and also like a well-trained coldy cart that are gonna at that level at least like advocate for you at all times um so even if you can't get around everybody you've at least got those sort of points where people at least can interject and and give give your opinion in that in in the room do you know what I mean at board level and I think that's been quite useful for me and seen because I've gone through um this is my third Syro I'm on in my three years and um James is he's a good advocate do you know what I mean and he cares and he will put it forward and my Caldicott as well she's really engaged and so it's been a really like I've seen a big shift in how I'm actually being able to engage um, with the board at that level and push the culture down and seeing a lot more like especially with the Caldicott a lot more um, clinician interest as well which has been really good and but also like I'm a bit shameless and I will just wander around the exec 
slot and make myself visible and go say hello to everybody so that even though I might not be advocating for myself necessarily there I'm they know who I am at least and if something pops up they know who to speak to and um if I and then you get sort of used to it and then you can pop your head and be like you know I've done this thing and then sort of wander off so um that's also quite a useful thing just being bold (laughs) which it's not great and you shouldn't have to because really this should be embedded but um it's it is really really hard to get like get the attention that it needs thank you becky then get diana guess bringing that back round to you have you kind of got anything else you'd like to add well i am quite lucky because i do have a really good collicott guardian in Cairo, um and that this current change over that i am seeing a shift and and more involvement so it, it is good it was just yes i think i need to be a bit more raising and pop your head in and, <laughs> and say here I am this is what I look like and because um, I, I am lucky enough to be on the exec floor so I am on the same corridor and I do meet them in the teapot when we're making coffee and things like that so it is good to see them on that level so yeah maybe that's where I need to do look at myself and be a bit more visible and a bit more out there for them so yeah I think I'll start doing that. I'll hang around the tea point. <laughs> Go and pop my head in the doors. <laughs> no, that was useful. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks, Diane. Has anybody else got any kind of final points to add before we wrap things up? Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. I think before we end the podcast, just want to say a massive thank you to all of you for kind of sharing your thoughts and insights on today's conversation. And um, once again, our guests on today's podcast have been Diane, Keir, Vanessa, and Becky. If you are hiring for any technical role or looking for a new role yourself, feel free to get in touch with us at Evolution. Or if you know of anybody that would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you all for listening.